After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Yes, it has.
that you would come and celebrate this incredible morning with us. Whether you're joining us here in the family room or watching online, you made it. You made it. You braved the elements. You braved the perils of the church parking lot. Like, you have made it. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And for the rest of this, this time we're together this morning, we're just going to focus our hearts and our minds on what Jesus has done on this day. Amen? Let's continue to worship as we pray the Lord's Prayer together. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father God, we love you. We thank you so much for this moment. God, that we can stand and look into an empty tomb and realize that you have the power, God, to do incredible things, not just back then, but right now in our own lives. So I pray that this morning, as we sing songs, as we listen, as we learn, as we lean into you, God, that you would do amazing things inside of our lives. God, inside this room, God, inside of the places that our people are watching online across the planet, we love you, we celebrate. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. All right. We ready to continue worshiping this morning, church? Yes. Now, this, this is actually my first Easter at CLC. Don't tell the other services, but I've heard 1045 is the best. Is that right? So let's lift our voices this morning. We see uh, from Scripture, Jesus says it is finished on the cross. It also tells us that we have new life. We are raised to life with him when we believe. So let's worship that. This morning, declare we are saved by the power of Jesus this morning.
is raging your spirit is my help he'll fix my eyes on jesus christ i'll say that it is well oh i know that
Jesus, we thank you so much for the victory that we have because of you. We thank you for the cross, the great pain and the suffering that you went through so that we can be connected to you, so that we can have life. We thank you for the resurrection today. We celebrate that we have victory over death and all the things that, that tend to pull on us. This morning, we have power because of Christ Jesus, y'all. We have uh, the power because we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, I want you to think about that just for a minute. He raised Jesus from the dead. That's not something we see every day, right? That same power that, that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that lives in you and I. That's what Jesus said. And so if we truly believe that, and we carry that power of Jesus living in us, then not in and of ourselves, but we have power over sin, we have power over darkness, we have power over fear, over anxiety, over depression, and the list goes on and on, right? Those things that often weigh on us and plague us. We have, we have the power through Jesus Christ, and oftentimes, we don't even know, sometimes when you go before the Lord, you're so weighted down, you don't even have the words to pray. I would encourage you, just say the name of Jesus. If that's all that you can say, just say, Jesus, help me. I need you. And he will be right there. There's such power in that name that he'll meet you right where you're at today. We're going to continue to worship this song. The words are so powerful. And I just pray that you would sense God's peace and presence here today. Your name 
break every stronghold, shine through the shadows, burn like a fire. Your name is power, your name is power, your name is healing, your name is life. Break every stronghold. got one more for you this morning and I just encourage you to, to sing loud as me one you all know uh, I encourage you just to pour your spirit out with this one today
but now I see T'was grace that taught my heart to feel And grace my fears relieved How precious did that grace appear The hour I first believed My chains are gone I've been set free My God, my Savior ransom me and like a flood his mercy reigns unending love amazing Set free, my God, my 
that first verse again, I just invite you to respond to the amazing grace that God has shown you today through Christ Jesus. aside to celebrate the grace that you showed us, not just in sending your son to live the perfect life that we could not because of our fallen nature, Father, and not just for sending him to die the death that should have been ours for our guilt and our sin and our shame, but Father, taking it a step further that you rose him from the dead so that we would have the assurance that Christ Jesus was who he says he is that we can know that death has been conquered, that sin has been defeated because of that empty tomb. Thank you for that, that proof of purchase, that, that assurance that you give us, Father. Father, I pray for every heart that has come through this building this morning. I pray that, that you have been doing the work, the time leading up to this and orchestrating things to, to prepare and soften our hearts to be molded by the gospel being shared today. Because, Father, your name is powerful. The name of your son is powerful. You've given him the name above all names. That at the name of Jesus Christ, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. So, Father, as we are confronted with the truths of your gospel today, I pray that that power would be at work in each and every one of us and that we would leave here different than we arrived. I thank you for what you've done, what you are doing now, and what you will do, God. You are so good to us, even when we don't deserve it, because we never do. And yet you are always faithful to us. It's in the name of your holy and precious son that we pray today. Amen. Well, y'all, we are so glad you guys are here. Uh, turn around and let the people around you know that you're glad they're here as well. Amen.
Happy Easter. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today at Community Life Church on this beautiful Easter morning. My name is Scott Verano, and I'm the lead pastor here at Community Life, and it is an honor to have you here in our family room or have you joining us online. Uh, Clint was right. You made it. Um, You braved the crazy parking lot and whatever the weather was doing, and we are so glad um, that you're here with us. Um, At Community Life, we love God. We love our neighbor. And we believe that our mission is to connect people to Jesus because we believe that Jesus is the source of life. And our hope is that when you discover the source of life, that yes, you'll hold on to it, but then you'll also give it to every single person that you encounter because we believe that Jesus has something to say about whatever it is that you're walking through. And so if there's anything we can do to stand alongside you, please, please let us know. Um, It's been a beautiful weekend so far. This is the fourth of four services. And I think we're all going to go pass out when it's all over. <laughs> but before I take one step further, I want you to know that there are a lot of folks that have worked so hard to put everything together from the decorations of the stage to the people in the parking lot that you guys made fun gestures at um, to the cross. Isn't the cross beautiful? Let's give them all a big round of applause. I tell you, it's an army of folks, and if you're looking for a place to connect and plug in, please let us know, because you'll, you'll really discover so much more about your faith if you jump in and serve, and also the people that are watching your kids right now. I hear they're in zone defense, um, so just trying to keep them all in the same room. Um, so a couple quick thoughts, and then, and then we'll jump into the message. So on the seat in front of you, as well as if you're at home, there'll be a QR code that'll come up on the screen. The QR code to the left Uh, That's the one that has all the information. If you use that, you can find out about events going on in the church. Um, If you're just wanting to register for something or if maybe today's your very first time, thank you for being here. And if you want to find out information, that's the way to go ahead and do that. The one on the right is our giving QR code. If you want to connect to the church and help us connect people to Jesus, then you can participate in that way. Um, For those of you that are diehard check writers, we love you too. And um, there are ways for you to be able to do that. There's boxes by each and every one of the door, and you can just drop the checks in those boxes. And um, we appreciate you sewing into this ministry, um, just allowing us to continue to, to live into that mission. And then this cool announcement. So it's always interesting to me when we wake up on Easter morning, what the weather's like. And for those of you that have been here for more than five years, you'll remember that we used to do on Easter morning, a sunrise baptismal service. And the weather was always like this or colder. It was never nice. I'll just tell you that. And so some, there was, somewhere along the way, somebody said, hey, Scott, since Jesus rose so early in the morning, do you think we could baptize at night? I'm like, yeah, that's a great idea. So let's do that. And so we've moved this baptism service to the evening and we do a sunset baptism service. That's going to be next Sunday. And we already have almost 50 people registered to be baptized. Isn't that awesome? I'm excited about it. So if you've not been baptized, or maybe it's been a while for you and you need to reconnect to your faith, um, we encourage you to go ahead and register. Come on out there and join us. Or, or if you have and, and you just want to come be a part of the party, um, it's going to be amazing. I, my, my greatest moment in life is when um, at about 6.15, 6.20, when we're done eating and talking about baptism, and then we all go and cross the sand dune and descend on those poor people that are there on vacation. <laughs> you should see them when 150 people just surround them. We just start baptizing people. If you're laying on a towel, you're going in. That's just how that works. So I'm like, wait, wait, what? Yeah, uh-huh. Jesus. We speak Jesus over them. So um, looking forward to that service coming up. Okay, so we have been in this um, Easter series uh, that we've, we've called Amazing Grace. And this morning, we gather 
around our faith as we celebrate the greatest act of amazing grace that's ever been displayed uh, for all the world, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so as we get our hearts together, we have to know that that amazing grace is on full display. I appreciate the, Tammy and the band reminding us of that and singing that song for us today and just, just allowing us to reconnect to our faith. But, but I'm going to tell you that as we get together and remember this story, these Sundays are my very favorite because I get to take and open up the story where the whole world changed forever. And I get to stand on this story and read it. And we all together remember that story of our faith. And here's what's so profound about it. The story, when you read it and understand it and hold on to it, it is just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. In fact, I think the Christian church has kind of messed up the story. And so by looking at what it was like in that first day, there are things that we need to be reminded of so we can anchor our faith in the way that it's supposed to be. So when I get on this stage and I get to read these Easter stories, I am all jacked up. And it's my absolute most favorite thing to do. And so today, we're going to be reading from, from uh, the Gospel of John, John chapter 20. And for those of you that have been here before, you know that this is, of the four Gospels, this is my favorite telling. So if you brought your Bible, you can go ahead and flip on over to 20. If you got your phones, you can open up your Bible that way, or we'll have the text on the screen. But um, as you prepare your hearts for us working through the text, I want you to consider a little different thought today. And I think this will will bring you into the story a little bit more. I want to give you some insight about John, the author that wrote this gospel. And this may be new information for you, but, but here's what I know. If you can understand when he wrote it, why he wrote it, and some of the details that are there, maybe it'll help you to wrestle with the story a little bit more. So, so here's some, some thoughts. Um, the gospel of John, surprise, they believe was written by the apostle John, um, one of the disciples that walked around with Jesus. But it's believed that John wrote his gospel account when he was 80 plus years old. So over 80 years old, he wrote this gospel while he was a pastor at the church in Ephesus. He had a crowd that was in his church that was not only Jewish, but also Gentile. So there's really neat threads that run through the gospel where he writes and speaks to the Jewish group, but he also speaks to the Gentile group. So it tells you a little bit about the narrative. When he wrote this gospel, he was probably the last disciple still alive. Um, all of the other disciples had been martyred by that point. John is in his 80s. And here's an interesting fact, and it'll tell us a little something about John, is that when John wrote this, it was believed to be after he wrote the letter of Revelations that you can read, and after Rome and others had tried to martyr him twice. So think about that. A person who was sentenced to death and just would not die. He has something to say, and he doesn't care anymore. He's going to put it out there because this guy has discovered that if God wants him alive, he's going to be alive. Now, here's the last thing I'll throw out there. There may be some more things. When John wrote his gospel, as I told you, everybody else has passed away. But imagine if you were an author, and three other people or more had written about the resurrection story. And those three stories were pretty similar in nature. They're kind of big narratives. They kind of give the same story. If you had an opportunity to write about that story and you were there, would you write the same story or would you try to give more details? And my thought is, I'd try to 
gives some more insight as to what was happening, especially if I lived to 80 years of age after everything that I had seen and maybe had, had the ability to watch and see what the church was shaping into and how it was moving. And I honestly believe that John gives us details in this gospel account. The others didn't, not because it's different or he's making stuff up, because he was there and he wanted to clear up some of the, the narrative, but also highlight a few particular areas. And then last but not least, have you ever sat at the feet of an 80-year-old man and listened to, tell, listened to him tell stories? It'll make you uncomfortable sometimes, won't it? He's funny. They'll, they'll just, you don't know. It'll be a journey, right? Like, like there's a journey that you're going to go on. Sometimes they'll make you laugh. Sometimes they'll make you cry. You'll leave with questions. Sometimes you'll be really confused. You have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. But it is the most incredible journey that you're going to go on. That's who's telling us this story. John is sharing it with us, and, and, and this is the last, last thing that I'm going to tell you. In the story, John tips his hat to Peter. Um, Peter and John had such a beautiful relationship um, as they spent time as disciples and as they grew and as they went through their different journeys, and there is some funny parts of the story that we're going to read that when John writes it, I imagine that as he was writing, he ultimately set down his quill or his hammer and chisel, I don't know what they were using at the time. And he probably laughed and thought, <laughs> Peter wouldn't like that. <laughs> so I hope you enjoy parts of this story because they're fabulous. So let's read it. And um, there's just a few thoughts I have that will really connect us to our faith. I'm so excited. Jesus is alive. So here we go. To set up chapter 20, Jesus dies on Friday before sunset. He's placed in the tomb day one. He's in the tomb all day Saturday. That's the Sabbath. The disciples aren't allowed to do anything. They have to stay silent. They have to stay where they're at. Jesus is in the tomb all day, day two. The sun rises on the third day. Jesus comes to life, day three. Here we have the story of Mary getting up early before the sun's even come up. For all of my hunters and fishers out there, you know what it's like as the sun is breaking across the horizon. There's just enough light to see, but it's still dark. Imagine that moment as this story unfolds. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb, and she saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. Now, one interesting point to start off with, John only mentions Mary. He doesn't deny the fact that there were other women there. In fact, in a second, when Mary gives her account to what's going on, she actually says, we don't know where they have placed the body. So John's not trying to hide that the other women were there, he just wants us to know in telling the narrative that he's highlighting Mary for us to consider in this story. Verse two, so she ran and she went to Simon Peter, and, and look at how, how John talks about himself, and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. John is so awesome and so comfortable in his faith, and after living all these years, he is certain that he was the one that Jesus loved more than anybody else. And she said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Now, before I go on, that, that statement just strikes me. Because here we have Mary showing up at the tomb early, and she already has an assumption. But as we know later, the assumption is wrong. Now, why do I mention that? I mention it because they, they don't know what's happening. Right? Like, all through Scripture, you realize that the disciples... They were just along for the ride, trying to figure it out, and more often than not, they were wrong. And so here she's thinking that somebody took the body. That was her initial thought, and she goes back and she tells um, Peter and John. Verse 3, 
Then Peter and the other disciples set out toward the tomb. Now, it makes sense that she would find Peter and John because if you back up in the Gospel of John, John tells you the stories of Peter's betrayal of Jesus, and he tells you because he's along with him. So you find out where you get that information and where you get those stories. So more than likely, Peter, as the lead disciple, was accompanied by John as the one whom Jesus loved. Those two would have been paired together. Who knows? Maybe Peter was looking out for John. Maybe John felt like he needed to be there to support Peter. Have no idea. But for some reason, she runs into them, and they are the ones that run back to the tomb. Verse 4, and this is stuff that you can't make up. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now, I'm going to tell you that, has, that information has absolutely no bearing on the story. John just wants you to know. That's what I'm talking about. An 80-year-old man will give you facts that are the most important things in the world to him, and they leave you scratching your head. Who knows why he told you that he got to the tomb first, except that it was true, and John wanted you to know, and so that's what he did. Verse 5, he bent down to look in, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. I have so many people that ask me, Scott, why did John not go into the tomb? And you know what my answer is? I have no idea. I don't know. I could surmise that maybe it was because he was 15, 14, maybe 16, and more than likely running into a tomb is probably not something that he really wanted to do that day. Could also be because Peter was stomping up right behind him and he's afraid he'd get run over as he went into the tomb. There's no telling, but for some reason he stays on the outside and he lets Peter take the lead from that moment forward. Verse six, then Simon Peter came following him, John just wants you to know, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Now, to me, this is so powerful. It's easy to read through this and you're just taking the story in. But just think for a moment, John in his 80s, recapturing this story and putting it down on paper. He would have thought back to his buddy Peter when they got into that tomb how he looked around and he processed and and ultimately when they go back, they would have shared with each other what they saw. And so he's writing down Peter's account of what was there. Peter sees the linen wrappings and he sees the, the face guard that's wrapped up and over by itself and it doesn't make sense to him, but he's recognizing that those elements are there. And then verse eight, then the other disciple, and just in case you forgot, who reached the tomb first, also went in, And he saw and believed. Now, now that word believed is is so interesting. You read that and you wonder, is John telling us that he figured it out? That he understood what happened? And you know, you scratch your head, you move forward, and there's many people that think that that's what happened or, or that maybe there was something, he knew that something was taking place. Or there's a split narrative on this. Some people believe that that's John letting you know that he believed what Mary said was true. Because this race to the tomb was started when Mary recognized the tomb was empty, and so she goes and she tells the men, and the men have to verify what Mary told them, and so they go. And so it could be that John is just telling us that in this moment, he believes Mary. And I believe 9 and 10 give us some insight as to whether or not that's true. So verse 9, John goes on to say, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. And so I think John tells us that, that he sees something, he believes something, but he's not fully aware of what's happening. So, so this 
singles Mary out, which is kind of what John is doing, that there's a greater story that he's going to focus on with Mary. And then verse 10 tells us that they leave and they go back um, to their home or they go back to the, to the upper room. Now, a lot of people also ask me, Scott, why, why would they not stay? In a second, we're going to read about how Mary Magdalene stayed there. Why didn't the disciples do the same thing? If you go and you read the gospel of Matthew, you figure out that on that morning, there's a lot of activity that's going on. The soldiers and the guards that were supposed to be guarding the tomb, uh, they passed out when the angels showed up. And so they are just a lost cause. And now they're concerned because they've lost the body and they don't know what's happened to it. And everybody's freaking out. So for the disciples to stay there would have been very, very dangerous. That it would have been long before they were arrested and taken away. And so in their heart, there was this urgency. We've got to get out of here or else we may end up just like Jesus. And so they take off. So before we're hard on them, we have to realize that they were pretty much not only in fear of their lives being lost, they were rightfully in fear. So they take off and they go back. Now, John takes in his narrative, squarely turns and focuses on Mary. And I want you to know that Mary is lost in her grief. That Mary, I'll just remind you, her life was drastically changed by Jesus. We find out in the Gospel of Luke that Mary, when Jesus met her, was possessed with seven demons. Jesus cast those demons out, and then Mary spent the rest of her life serving and following and walking alongside Jesus, just like the rest of the disciples. And so when this happens, it brings her life to a screeching halt, and she doesn't know what she's going to do next. She's filled with grief, and she is broken. Verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. I love that John, our 80-year-old storyteller, does something that the other gospels don't do. The other gospels, when you read this story, they talk about men dressed in, dressed in dazzling clothes, dazzling white outfits. John 80 is just like, they're angels. He just rips that band-aid off. He calls them what they are. Now, here's a little cool insight. The way he places them inside the tomb, one on one side and one on the other, is reminiscent of the cherubim that sit on the edge and on the outside of the mercy seat where the sacrifice would have been placed in the middle. So there's some foreshadowing of, of the life of Jesus and what took place and this, the Passover lamb that was there. And so just something to think about as you process through and you read through scripture. But it's it, how John places them in the seated position, I think, is, is, is marvelous. Verse 13, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord. And, and listen to this shift. And I do not know where they have laid him. So now we find Mary there by herself. Now, something struck me this year when I read through this text. The question, woman, why are you weeping? Now, I want you to think for a moment. If you were um, at a cemetery or if you were at a tomb and you encountered a woman that was crying, would you be as bold as to say, why are you crying or why are you weeping? It seems almost rude in some ways, right? I mean, you look around, you can figure it out. And and so here's what I would say to you. John is giving us an insight. This question by the angel is not condemnation or a pushback, but rather an invitation. This is a question meant for Mary to start wrestling. Why are you weeping? Process through. What is it you're seeing? What is it you're walking through? What is it that you're experiencing? So this question is, is amazing because it, it seems way out of place. And so it causes you to pause and think and wonder that maybe John is up to something. 
or, or the angels are up to something. And so she, once again, she, she gives us that narrative that we know is wrong. She assumes that the body has, has been taken and, and she doesn't know where it's at. Verse 14, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she, but she did not know that it was Jesus. I wonder how many times Jesus is literally present to us in our lives and we're praying and asking God to do this and God to do that. And, and you know what? I honestly believe he is. He's working, he's moving, he's fixing, he's solving, he's doing those things and, and we're just not looking or we can't see him or it's just not necessary that we see him and God is just present all around us, making sure that things move in the direction that his kingdom is supposed to be moving in. And so she sees Jesus, but she doesn't know it's Jesus. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, here's the questions. Woman, why are you weeping? That's an invitational question. Why are you weeping? Process through this. Whom are you looking for? process through this because she's looking for a dead man. She's looking for a body. So he's, he's inviting her to, 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 to question and to kind of move in that direction. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. And then something amazing happens. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbani, which means teacher. She heard her voice in the cadence that only Jesus could have spoken it. And it just connected right to her grief and removed it from her life. Now here's a, here's a squirrel that we're gonna chase for a second. I want you to think about this because this will connect you to the story. Growing up, I loved to play baseball. And um, as I played baseball, my parents gave me a nickname. And it was an awesome nickname. And that nickname was Scoots. S-C-O-O-T-S. And for years, I believed that they called me Scoots because I ran like lightning fast. And then when I was old enough to hold an offense, my parents said to me, oh, no, no, no. That's not why we called you Scoots. We called you Scoots because you run like a duck. <laughs> I was bullied by my own parents for all of those years, I just want you to know, and I didn't even know it, right? I was totally clueless. And, so, and you're like, why? Where did the, story, the resurrection story go? Let me tell you why that's important. If you took my mother and you placed her somewhere in this crowd and I turned around and you guys all took turns calling me scoots, I would recognize the cadence of my mother's voice because of her love for me, my love for her, and our connection. There's something about her voice that I know it. There's something about my children's voice when we're in a crowded mall and they say, hey, dad, there's so many dads that are around us, but you know when your child calls your voice. There's something about it. And here's what I want you to know. When the lover of your soul calls you by name, you hear it and it removes your grief. That is exactly what we see happen inside of Mary's life. It's so amazing. And then something so funny happens between 16 and 17. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me. So from the moment she heard her voice, I think of it like a little monkey grab. Boom, she just probably jumped onto him like, don't you dare do that again. He's like, okay, let me go. This is not the time. You got to let me go. He says, um, I, have, I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. And so we find, and I honestly believe this, at 80 years of age with nothing to lose, he tells us the truth of that morning, which is that Mary was the first, that in a patriarchal society that God chose, Jesus chose 
Mary to be the first to see him alive. And there is something awesome about that message. John gives that to us. He hands it to us. He cleans the story up so that you can see it very clear that she takes and she delivers that message to the rest of the world. And now quickly, we're going we're gonna to just kind of move forward. Let's talk about the disciples. Verse 19 tells you everything you need to know about where they are and how they're doing. It says, when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house of the disciples were, um, where they had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And so he found Mary in her grief and called her by name. Now he goes and he finds the disciples. They're locked away in fear. And what does he do? He offers them peace. He meets them in their moment and gives them what they need in order to reconcile and discover true life. After he'd said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And then 22 and 23 is interesting. It gives us an insight as to the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit plays a role in the next parts of these stories. When he had said this to them, he breathed on them and said to them, uh, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, then you are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, um, they are retained. That's Jesus reminding them of the significance of the moment. Can you imagine that after all of this is done and they start to recount, they may look at the Sanhedrin and those religious leaders and just say, I hate you for what you did here. Killing Jesus, bringing us to this point, and Jesus is saying, uh-uh. Remember, you're just as broken and you are to offer forgiveness in the midst of that brokenness. And so he reminds them of what this story is all about. And then if you were to read on, verse 24, for some reason, Thomas wasn't there in the upper room that day. He missed it. And Thomas, for a whole week, wandered around and was frustrated. And he said, I will not believe that Jesus is alive unless he shows up right in front of me and I see the nail-scarred hands. You know what Jesus does? He shows up right in front of him and does what he needs to in order for him to believe. It's just so awesome. And when I think of John chapter 20, the events that immediately follow the resurrection, those events to me symbolize and bring to life this story in such a great way because it reminds me a lot of our lives. There's opportunities to run and walk, to weep, to get angry, to run in fear, to rejoice, to, um, to love, to hear our names called, to recognize family. I mean, there's so many powerful moments that are right in there. And, and you know what is just profound to me? If we could take John 20 and recognize that as the greatest picture of faith and the greatest picture of our Christian faith going forward, then I'm telling you, we would be A-okay and everything would be fine. But here's where my concern is. My concern is something's happened in the 2,000 years in between where we have taken and we flipped the narrative. And for some reason, um, and, and I'm gonna tell you, some of you are here today and this is the thought that's in your mind, is that this good news doesn't seem like good news to you anymore and here's why. Because you look at the church, you look at the institution of the church and it doesn't look like that story. Because for some reason we've allowed our faith systems to create this faith where we put a premium on you getting it right and not making any mistakes. And we put a premium on pray harder, seek God harder, it's all on you. When if you go back to the story, on the very first day, no one got it right and Jesus is the one that's finding everyone else. 
And so for just a moment, if you're here and you're frustrated with the church, amen. I get it. I'm going to tell you we've held it wrong for so long that God knew we were broken. God knew we couldn't get it right. And so he sent his son, Jesus. Am I telling us that we don't need to work on it? and not try to be right? No, I'm not telling you that. There are beautiful things that we discover when we allow the Spirit of God to govern our lives. But I'm telling you, God knew that we couldn't get it right. And I'm not telling you to not pursue God. I'm not telling you that. But what I'm telling you is that God pursues you because he wants to be known by you. And so if the church has given you the wrong narrative, and you look at it, and you're struggling, and you're wrestling, welcome to the party. And I want us to remember the very first day of resurrection where Jesus shows up and he loves people that are broken, people that don't understand it, people that are lost in their brokenness, and he goes to meet them right where they're at and he brings them healing. And so if you're here today and you're walking through some of the worst times of your life, I've heard stories this whole weekend of of families that have children that are just stuck in addiction, husbands and wives that are just pretty sure that the relationship is over. Families that that are concerned about their aging parents and they're not sure what they're going to do. Just the list goes on and on and on of all the uncertainties of life. Let me remind you that our God has a history of bringing dead things to life. And what you need to know from me today is that Jesus is alive and he is the lover of your soul and he will pursue you every day that you have breath. I believe that with everything that's inside of me. And if you're frustrated with the church, amen. Come and join us and be a part of of helping to reconcile and study this word and bring about the understanding and the awareness of a God that loves us, pursues us, and calls us into a relationship of transformation that doesn't cause us to be the impediment to the rest of the world, but to be those that ask questions that invite the world in and bring people into a loving relationship with Jesus. That's what I hope we represent as a church. And so today, as we close out the service, one of the most profound truths that we find in Scripture is when Jesus is sitting with a religious leader who just couldn't understand what Jesus was all about. His name is Nicodemus. And Jesus sits down with him in John chapter 3, and he says, Nicodemus, listen, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Now, when you try to reconcile and understand that and put it in a box, you can't. It teaches us the truth that God has a love for humanity, all of humanity, and he would send his son because of that love to give us an opportunity to reconnect to his heart. And so when you go and you start to study, you find this verse that Paul writes for us in Romans 10, teaches us how to activate our faith. He writes this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then he tells us you will be saved. So if you're here today, regardless of the standing of your life, if you think you've gotten it right or if you think you've gotten it wrong, I want you to know that Jesus is here and you can open up your heart and you can experience life and salvation in this moment. And so I'd like to invite everyone to bow your heads. And I'm not gonna do the traditional pastor thing where I ask you to raise your hands. Because I tell you, I get nervous about that because I know there will be people that want to raise their hands, but they're afraid to. And I don't want you to disqualify yourself. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite everyone to pray this prayer with me. And if it's in your heart to mean it, say these prayers as if they're your own. These words as if they're your own. And so I invite you to repeat after me. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me and sending your son Jesus to be the savior of the world. I ask you to forgive me and I confess Jesus as my Lord and I believe in my heart that Jesus is alive. Thank you for life. Thank you for peace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Heavenly Father, we love you. And I thank you for each and every heart and life that's here. Lord, even in the beginning stages of that prayer, as our heart starts to open, Lord, we have no idea, no clue. So often, we, we just don't even know what's going on, what you're doing inside of our lives. But God, step by step in this journey through transformation, as you start to work on us and bring us to a whole new place, God, I pray that we would never lose sight of the grace and the love that you have for us and that you have for this world. You're doing the work in us so that we can turn and offer this hope and this good news, this gospel to the rest of the world. So start right here inside of us. Lord, and let that beginning take hold and bring it to the rest of the world. We love you, we trust you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, I invite you, if you will, to stand and allow this last song to just to be something that you allow your hearts to champion. If you'd like prayer today, um, Addie is down front. I'll be over here on this other side. We'd love to pray with you, but sing this song and enjoy just really celebrating Jesus in this moment.
Several times in this message, Scott referred to the fact you can't trust an 80-year-old man and what comes out of his mouth. And here I am. They invited me to do this. But I'm not 80. Not yet. What a beautiful message. What a beautiful invitation to take what has been given you freely. And I've been working with Scott now for over 15 years, and I never knew until this weekend about this scoots thing <laughs> that he talked about. And, I, and in my mind, I can see him waddling like a duck, but I've never seen him run. But I will tell you, if he was in the story, he would have placed third in the race to the tomb. In fact, he may have never found it. That's how much we love our pastor. But I'm also glad that he, he took the message from the 20th chapter of John, because it's one of my favorite chapters as well, because one of my heroes, one of my ultimate heroes of the Bible is a lady by the name of Mary Magdalene, who was solid. She had greater faith, I think, than the disciples that we read so much about. You know, she went to that tomb, and she wasn't really wanting to leave that tomb. The only reason she went back was to get the two guys to come and take a look. And then she stayed there. And she's the one that encountered the two angels. And then most beautifully, the very first person to lay eyes on our risen Lord and Savior is Mary Magdalene. And the very first words out of Jesus' mouth is what? Mary. What a privilege. What a blessing. And you know, he, he sees your name and he pronounces your name all the time as well because he's the risen Savior. He knows you intimately. He knows you passionately. And you know what? We need to be known by him. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we thank you for just a beautiful day. And Lord, this is a day, Resurrection Sunday, and when we look at it, it is 